Do you know what kind of life you really want? If you're not living that life right now, I think you'll want to hear what today's guest is going to share that will help you experience life in ways you never really thought possible, no matter what your age or circumstances. So this is the Astound Yourself podcast, and I'm your host, Sally Saxon. And my guest today is someone with a wealth of, of wisdom and experience on the subject of discovering how much more is really possible than we think we can do, change, or overcome. And he's the author of 25 books, recipient of all the highest awards for professional speaking, and a past president of the National Speakers Association. And the video of his TEDx talk has received over 2.7 million views. And his list of business friends and collaborators includes the biggest names in the field of personal motivation. And I'll bet many of you haven't even heard of him before. He's the founder of the Going Pro Experts Academy and a mentor to many of the world's business leaders. Jim Cathcart, welcome to the Astound Yourself podcast. It's great to be here, Sally. Thank you. Well, it, it's really an honor uh, to have you because, I mean, you are, you know, one of the even top 1% of the top 1%, you know, in your field. And uh, it's not every day we get a chance to hear the the nuggets of wisdom and experience that that you have to share that can really help transform people's lives. And sometimes it's only just one little thing or two little things you might say. Exactly. Well, like when, when you were talking to the Olympic marathoner and he said it was normal to run, walk, run, walk, run, walk through a marathon and it, you had never considered it wasn't nonstop, nonstop running. You know, is that one little idea like that really can transform your point of view, which can transform all the behavior that follows. Right, exactly. And for people who aren't familiar with you, I think we could maybe just sort of sum up the the core of of your teaching. You've been a professional speaker in the field of personal growth and development uh, for many years. And uh, uh, but can just share with us in a, in a couple minutes, just sort of the core concepts of your teachings about personal growth, and okay. then we'll get into some other questions. Sure. As you mentioned, I've written 25 books, and people ask me, what are your books about? And I, I tell them about how to live more successfully, how to live a meaningful and satisfying life, how to succeed in business, how to succeed in relationships, be be and remain healthy, how to be the kind of person other people want to live next door to, or do business with, or have as a partner, or get on their team or be involved in the club you belong to, or whatever. You know, be the kind of person, be an eligible receiver for the life you want. And, and the life you want will be drawn to you. So I wrote a book called Relationship Selling, Treating Relationships as Assets. And it became an international bestseller. I wrote a book called The Acorn Principle, Discovering the Seed That Makes You Who You Are. You know, if you're an acorn become an oak, don't try to be a pine tree. That became an international bestseller. I've written a number of books in the field of self-motivation. And uh, my latest one came out in 2023. It's called Mentor Minutes. And it's how to reach the top 1% of any field. And I can literally teach people how to do that, how to become 
a certified professional expert. And I, I wrote a book, my latest book, 25th book, it's called What to Do When You're the Speaker. Yes. And people say, oh, it's that. a book about that. I've got there that you too. Go. Yeah. It's about how to give a speech. Well, no, it's not. Uh, because there are millions of books, it seems, on how to give a speech. And I didn't want to write one like that. I wanted to write one for how to be a speaker. In other words, what do you do when the when the lights go out and your audio visual won't work and the room's dark and you've still got a 45 minute speech and a room full of people and you're the only one who's in charge at the moment? What do you do when a drunk stumbles into the banquet and you're giving a keynote speech and he yells out a challenge to everyone in the room to a fight? What do you do when someone in your audience appears to be dying or has a seizure? What do you do when the building catches on fire? When the speaker before you runs 45 minutes overtime and eats up your whole time frame? What do you do when the introducer doesn't realize who you are and reads the wrong introduction? <laughs> and then you walk up to the stage and the people go, huh? What do you do when you're sick as a dog and you don't think you should leave your bed, let alone give a speech? Right. What do you do when laryngitis hits you the morning of your keynote? Yeah. I've had all those things and more happen to me. It seems that those situations that you just described are not just for like a professional speaker, that you know other people... Uh, who do a variety of other things can learn from you know, what to do in those kinds of situations uh, exactly. because we all have, we all encounter situations that we didn't expect, things didn't go quite the way we had had hoped or that we were told they would. And, and so we have to adapt and be flexible and think quickly on the spot, how to respond in, in different yeah, situations. I guess we could, we could have an alternate title, what to do when you're in charge. Uh, you yeah, know, so that can apply to all that. kinds of leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And all kinds. Okay. Not just about giving the speech. What I do is I help people I help people grow. Yeah. And that's been my company motto since 1977, helping people grow. Yeah, regardless of age or circumstances. Yeah, regardless of age. And if you look at my company logo, you can see it on one of these little address labels. Mm -hmm. It's a acorn with a person emerging triumphantly from it. And um, the, the whole point of that is the acorn represents potential. It's a universal symbol for potential. And an acorn can only be one thing, an oak. It can't be a dog, can't be a, a lion, can't be... Uh, a giant redwood tree, it can only be an oak. Well, a person's not quite that limited. A person has a seed within him or herself that has the potential for lots and lots of possibilities. Not all possibilities, but a lot of them. So if you discover what kind of seed is in you, what makes you who you are, then if you nurture your nature, instead of trying to change your nature. In other words, discover your strengths and nurture them when they're not very strong. 
and they become major life skills and and really uh, speed your advancement. But if you keep trying to change yourself instead of understanding and accepting yourself, then you won't evolve. You will just mutate and you won't be nearly as successful because an acorn trying to be a, a cedar tree will always fail no matter how hard they try. Right. And you know, one thing that that speaks to is, you know, don't compare yourself to others, you know, because then you're trying to be, become that cedar tree out of an acorn and it's not going to work. Well, you know? I, I would take exception to that in this way. Okay. I agree with conceptually, but here's the exception. All people at all times throughout all of history compare themselves to others. So we can't not do that. It's impossible to avoid doing that, mm -hmm. right? But don't measure yourself by the, what others have done. Don't value yeah. yourself by what others have done. Compare, learn. You know, sometimes I can look at you, for example, and learn many things from you by comparing my approach to your approach, my world to your world. But I, I need to understand that who I'm competing with is not you. Yeah. It's the earlier me. Right. The former yeah. me is my competitor. Yeah. And I just want to be. Thank you. He used to be. It's kind of like Matthew McConaughey said when he was when he won the uh, Oscar for Best Actor several years ago. He said, when I was 15 years old, a mentor, I think it was his uncle, said to him, let's see, what, how did he ask it? Who's your hero? That's what it was. Who's your hero? He said, me, 10 years from now. Ooh, good answer. Hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, I'm not nearly as good as that guy. And as long as I'm trying to be as good as that guy, I know I can make it. Because it's not you or someone else. It's me 10 years from now. He said, well, 10 years later, that same person asked me, so now who's your hero? And he said, me 10 years from now. Because <laughs> I'll never catch him, but I can always aspire to be him. Yeah. And if we would all look at the future version of us, the more enlightened, the more mature, the more educated, the more uh, skilled, form of us and use that as our our hero or role model i think that's a pretty powerful thing yeah i agree and thank you so much for that clarification uh I, that is what i meant uh so yeah, no but i but it was important for you to to state that and express that well it's like people say you know don't i want you to just relax and don't think <laughs> so that's impossible <laughs> You said, How do you do that? Well, what do you mean it's impossible? I can relax my mind. Yeah, but you're thinking about something, even if what you're thinking about is relaxing your mind. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, don't judge. Well, human thought is judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, when I say these are business cards and these are reading glasses, I've judged them. I've judged these reading glasses not to be a dog not to be a, a ballpoint pen. You know, I, I've made a judgment. So there's always judgment. 
And it, it, if you use judgment as discernment, no problem. If you use judgment as devaluing or uh, labeling or discriminating, uh, you know, then it's a bad thing. But there's always going to be judgment. Mm -hmm. it, it's speaking of judgment in the negative. Right. You know that there's no such thing as fear of public speaking. Now, let me let's just let that set for a minute. There's no such thing as a fear of public speaking. That's a bold statement. And many, many people have challenged me on it. They've said, not true, Jim, not true. I have a fear of public speaking. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. What you fear is judgment. You're not afraid to speak. You're afraid of how people will react when you do. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but that's, that's very a, powerful. You know, that's the point. Because it's not the speaking that's the problem. It's the fear of them thinking you didn't do it well. Mm -hmm. In other words, your problem is you're thinking about you when you mm -hmm. ought to be thinking about getting your message to them. And if you do that, you disappear and so does your nervousness. That kind of goes to the point too of you know, of, of anything in, in a relationship, whether it's selling or something else, we're so focused on ourselves and that's not the right approach if we want to have the most abundant life possible. But it's, you know, getting focused on, you know, how, how we can serve the other person or what do they want? What do they need? What can mm -hmm. we do to help them? And and uh, and you had uh, in in something an interview I listened to you had talked about mentioned Zig Ziglar's famous quote about you know you can have everything you want if and then you had a version of it too. Do you remember yeah, what? Yeah, well, mine was simply a wording change. Zig Zig was a dear friend for for the uh, for a large part of his life. He's passed away now, but Zig's known for. The statement, you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. He has another statement. Um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I altered that a little bit. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Hmm. Or whether you care. And so when, if you want to sell or if you want to lead or if you want to convince somebody of something, the first thing you've got to convince them of is your sincerity and your willingness to make this valuable to them. When I'm doing sales training, which I'm best known for, but because of my book, Relationship Selling, um, I tell salespeople, call reluctance is based on thinking about yourself, just like fear of public speaking, based on thinking about yourself. Don't If you're reluctant to make a call, stop thinking about you and start thinking about what are their needs, what are their interests, what are their problems, how can I help them resolve those issues? Mm -hmm. In what way can I be valuable to this person today? You know, it's like before every speech, I say a quick little prayer. 
Lord, help me be valuable to them today. Mm. Yeah. So I get the emphasis off of me. And if you right. get the emphasis off of you and on to the, solving the problem you're there to solve, then everything goes way better than it would have otherwise. If we you're asking, how can I, how can I form a business, you know, go into business for myself? How can I make a living? Eh, wrong question. What needs, problems, fears, concerns do people have that I think I could help them resolve? Then mm. you list those and then you say, okay, which of these could I do profitably? And what's the best way to do that? Work for mm -hmm. another company, get a license, be a franchisee, be a solo operator, be a consultant, be a, a, a part-time problem solver. You know, there's a thousand ways in the world to approach doing those things. Do the ones that make sense for you. If you're in Alaska, probably selling refrigerators is not going to do well. Although they buy refrigerators in Alaska. Why do they buy refrigerators in Alaska? Not to freeze the food, to keep the temperature at the same level. One of the other uh, you know, questions that is part of your core teaching is, and speaking as far as I can tell uh, so far is, you know, is helping people to focus on what do you want? And... <laughs> You know, yeah, it sounds like it should be an easy question to answer, but it for many people, it's not. That's true. Well, it, it, and there's so many reasons why not. But here's how I start all of my uh, coaching processes. What do you want? What do you mean? What do I want? Think about it. What do you, uh, here we are. We can do something. What do you want? Well, I want you to tell me what to do. No. Now, what do you want? <laughs> what do you mean? No. Well, there's nothing useful I can tell you until I know what you want. Well, I want to be a better speaker. Ah, now we've got a job. Okay. Now, okay. Who are you speaking to? And what are you, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know. Good starting point. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a speaker, is it so that you can make sound? Well, you know, here. Here's your money back. Go ahead. Because you can already do that. Now yeah. I want to be a successful professional speaker. Oh, well, that's an even bigger job. All right. Professional speaker means, first off, not that you've got to be a good speaker, but that you've got to have something to say that's worth paying for. Mm. So let's look at what you know or can do that other people don't know or cannot do yet that you could get potentially paid for sharing that information. Mm. Yeah. How do I give a speech? Mm -mm -mm. We're not there yet. Mm. First, we got to have a reason for anybody to be speaking. So what problem can you solve? What need can you fill? What value can you bring? And then let's look at it because I know professional speakers, highly paid, with bad speech impediments. I know highly paid professional speakers with horrible disfigurements and disabilities. I know highly paid professional speakers 
who aren't that good at delivering their ideas, but what their ideas are is worth so much, people are willing to pay them anyway. So if someone had the secret of the universe, but they stuttered and they were ugly and they didn't usually show up on time. And when they did show up, they talked too long, but they had the secret of the universe. Wouldn't you want to hear them? And wouldn't you put up with their obnoxious behavior? Yeah. So being a professional speaker, highly successful, is not about being a perfect speaker. It's about being highly valuable. And then if you do it as a good speaker, all the bonuses come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you know, the, the theme of this podcast is, you know, helping people discover how much more is really possible for them to do or to change or to overcome. And when you look yep. around at what's going on in society today, there's plenty of huge problems, situations uh-huh. that need changing. Uh, and mm-hmm. yet so often people just don't get involved and become part of the solution, you know, for a variety of reasons. Uh, sometimes they just don't even know where to start or they think they don't have anything of value to offer. Uh, and yep. in many cases, uh, especially these last, you know, four years or so, is since all the different aspects of COVID with the lockdowns yeah. and and you know all the 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 things that have really turned a lot of people's lives upside down you know um financially emotionally physically you know every mm-hmm. which way and it's hard for them to uh, really start thinking about well what would i like my life to be like who is that person i would like to be uh you know, when they're just dealing with so much overwhelm and trauma from, you know, getting through daily life and dealing with all the, the different new yeah. problems that they have well, uh, then that they didn't used to have. So what what could you say to them to encourage them uh, to help them, you know, overcome and discover that much more is possible for them? than they currently think. I'm going to see a theme in my answers. And the theme is stop focusing on you. Because every time we focus on us, we see limits. Every time we focus on us, we notice discomfort or pain or a blemish or something. You know, we, we pick ourselves apart from a negative point of view. Almost never do we look at ourselves and think, you good looking rascal, you boy, wait till the world gets a load of this, man. Think of the potential. You know, there are parts of you that aren't even developed yet. Let's work on those and see how much we could do. No, that's not how hardly any people approach looking at themselves. It's always from a limiting point of view. For example, when, uh, when a person Well, let me go back to an analogy, okay? When I was a little kid, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, some of my friends get allowances. I want an allowance. He said, what do you want an allowance for? I said, so I'll have some of my own money. So if I go to the store and I want a candy bar, I can buy one. 
he said, okay, I'll give you an allowance. He said, uh, see that push lawnmower out there, that rotary lawnmower, you know, before they had power engines on them? I said, yeah. He said, that's your allowance. I said, well, how does that work? He said, you work. He said, go up and down the street and ask the neighbors if they would like you to mow their lawn. And if they would pay you for doing so. And you can use my lawnmower. And he said, or I said, okay. So I went up and down the street, little nine-year-old kid or some something like that. And I asked the neighbors, you know, hey, can I mow your lawn and would you pay me? And and they'd pay me a quarter or 50 cents or whatever it was back in, you know, back then, 1950s. And uh, I, got, I got myself an allowance. You know, I earned several dollars through the summer months pushing a lawnmower. And if I trimmed the, you know, I got the clippers and hand clippers and trimmed around the edges, I'd get an extra payment. And so I learned the value of things that way. And then I, when I got a little bit older, uh, I was in my early teens and I went to work part-time for a donut shop. Irish made donuts, Irish made, whoever heard of that, Little Rock, Arkansas. And I would go early, early in the morning while it was still almost dark. And I would watch the guy finishing all that morning's batch of donuts. And oh, they smelled wonderful. And, uh, and he'd get them off of those racks and put them in bags, half dozen at a time. And he put them in these wax paper bags you could see through and staple them and put them in a basket. And I would carry this basket around the neighborhood and knock on doors, literally knock on doors and say, would you like some hot, fresh donuts? And I would sell them for 30 cents for half dozen of which I got to keep a nickel. Yay. <laughs> and, uh, and then one day my dad said to me, he said, son, I've got a better idea for you if you're going to sell donuts. Why don't you every Friday and every Saturday call the neighbors around here, get everybody's phone number and call the neighbors and ask them if they would like some hot, fresh donuts for breakfast tomorrow morning. And then you deliver them. And I said, that's a great idea. So I got on the phone and I also went knocking on doors and just asked the neighbors if they would like donuts. And they said, yeah. And so I sold a bunch of them, all pre-sold. Mm -hmm. And so I'd show up at the donut shop and pay for my donuts and get a you know big batch of them. And mom would drive me up there and back. And then I would go around the neighborhood and deliver them while they were still warm in the package. And the neighbors loved that. And I had an ongoing business. And not everybody ordered every week, but you know, I got a, I had a regular route established. And that was all about me finding a need or a want that I could stimulate. You know, you poke the want and it comes to life. I could stimulate a want or answer a need. And it gave me a job. So years later, when I started thinking, what do I want to do? Where can I find work? I didn't just look through the newspaper at the want ads and try to figure out what was there. I did that a few times, but 
I, I found that a better approach to that was look through the want ads and think about the business I would like to be in. I'm not just seeking a salary or seeking a function. I'm think, seeking a role where I will find some meaning in it. Yeah. And you know what, what that says to me is like when you hear certain things or you read certain things, certain things will resonate, you know, with your spirit and it'll be different right. for everybody. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, for those who've listened to my story, my running story about half marathons, marathons, um, you know, when, what I explained there was when I first, um, heard the suggestion of working with the running coach and he was suggesting that we runners set a, a running goal. And he said, yeah. some people set this goal of running a, a marathon. Others set a goal of running a marathon in less than three hours, a time goal. And then others set a goal of running a half marathon or marathon in all 50 states. And it was as soon as he said that something, you know, uh, within me said, yes, you know, I, I was, I was the, uh, the, the amazing or astounding is a better word. Astounding fact about that is that when you started, you couldn't even walk two city blocks without pain. That's right. Let, let run to the corner and back, right? And then yeah. at the end, you had gone to all 50 states and you had even run five marathons in five consecutive days. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I did that. Sally, you are amazing. Oh. You are amazing. Well, and, and, you know, some people go even beyond that. Like, what's I don't know the guy's name, but a guy who ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 consecutive days. days. Dean Carnazes. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Who, who would have believed a human body was capable of that? Right. And then there are some people who've done seven full marathons. We're talking 26.2 miles is a marathon like seven marathons on seven continents, including Antarctica, uh, in seven days. So that requires a lot of planning, logistical you know, things. But, yeah. but you know, the thing is, what I found was once I got into this challenge, uh, it became easier and easier. And, yeah. and at first it seems impossible, but then once you get into it, and I've found this to be true of other challenges that I've had too, uh, that you just need to take that first step. Uh, like yeah. you said in it's like your book. calls, you know? Yeah. Simply people say, well, I could never sell. Well, don't. What do you mean don't? I have to. I need, I've got to get an income. Don't sell. Solve problems. Mm. Selling is you trying to persuade them to give you their money. Don't do that. Go out and solve problems for pay. Yeah. What do you exactly. mean? Exactly. Do you have a product people would like? Yeah, I've got these microphones. I, I sell these microphones. Mm -hmm. Do people need microphones? Yeah. Yeah. We'll go find the people who need microphones and tell them about yours. Well, yeah. I don't like to make sales calls. Don't. Just no. go tell people about your microphone. Some of them want one. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, the day I was given. This was in New England, and uh, the client had not arranged for a microphone for the meeting. 
and I was the speaker. And so she came to me at the last minute and said, um, Jim, do you really need a microphone? And I said, no, I'll hear every word. <laughs> and she said, oh my gosh, you're right. You don't need a microphone. The audience needs you to have a microphone. Uh, I'll be back. And she rushed off to do last minute problem solving and found a microphone. And it was this kind of microphone. I had to hold it in my hand and it was designed to be sitting on a table. Ah. But I had asked for a lavalier, you know, a clip-on microphone. Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, when you think about it, what's the purpose of a microphone? To People amplify. say it's to amplify your voice. Nope. Nope. No. It's to cause hearing. Okay. See, you're giving us all kinds of different ways you know? to think about. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I tend to think, what's the purpose, 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 purpose of that, right? And when I finally get to where there's no further answer available, I figure that's what it's about. So what's the purpose of a microphone? Is audience hearing is the purpose of a microphone. Right. Right? What's the purpose of a speech? Audience understanding or audience knowing or feeling or whatever it is you're trying to impart what's the purpose of a dance a performance entertainment mm -hmm. inspiration what's the purpose of you know name it what's the purpose of a human life to live fully think of this all living things have an implied purpose upon creation their implied purpose is to thrive now, for an amoeba, a single-cell creature, what it tries to do is to expand, to consume, and to multiply, you know, to become two single-cell creatures. So it's trying to live as fully as possible. Well, so is a virus. <laughs> so what does a virus do? It gets in your system, you're the host, and it tries to multiply, you know, until your system combats it and makes it go away. So every form of life, both, both threatening and non-threatening, is trying to live more fully. What does a tree try to do? It tries to grow wherever the opportunity is the greatest. So it sends roots out seeking nutrients. It sends branches up seeking sunlight and rain. And it sends down the deepest root, the tap root, to the deepest level of nutrients it can find. And that's what gives it strength. How long will it live? As long as that flow continues. So trees live virtually forever, right? Compared to us. And what's the purpose of a human life? To live fully. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means physically. It means interpersonally. It means professionally. It means mentally, intellectually. It means emotionally, socially, you know, mental, physical, family, social, spiritual, career, financial, emotional, around the, the mm -hmm. priority wheel of life in all areas. So when I, several years ago, was offered the opportunity by friend Tom Vocola, who's a, a executive mentor and coach, I was offered the opportunity to do a, passion and purpose uh, session with him, two days. 
He asked me in private over two days, every question he could think of about my life. And he had me start from birth, earliest memories, uh, all the way through the current day. And that year was 2010. And uh, we came up with the end of this after story, after story, after story, after story. He circled all the key points and moments and turning points in my life. He said, here are the patterns. And based on this, here's your passion and purpose. And I reworded it. And the passion and purpose statement I came up with in 2010, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, almost, said, my passion and purpose is the fulfillment of life through me, through intelligent observation, vocal appreciation, and full self-expression in all ways. I inspire myself and others to have life and have it more abundantly. Now, that last little piece is a quote from the Bible, John 10, 10. I have come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. That's quoting Jesus. Mm. Well, when you take that have life and have it more abundantly, that's what I think my job is, to help people live more abundantly. And I have to start doing so by doing that myself. Because I've got to be a good example if I'm going to teach, right? So I got to live my message as well as teach my message. But my focus is helping people live more abundantly, helping them astound themselves. And the interesting thing, when Tom sent me a little laminated card with my passion and purpose statement on it, the date on the card was October 10th and 11th of 2010. 10. 10. 10. 10. 10. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, <laughs> no coincidences. Yeah, I, I really love that because I, I've also taught and helped people uh, define and identify, you know, their passion and, and purpose, mm -hmm. their life purpose. And that was always uh, very fun because it, it forces you to look at your life in a different way and, and then and develop a vision for what is it that you want that flows out of your purpose. But uh, yeah, that's a conversation for another day. But uh, yeah, before let me, we... Let me throw in a, a footnote here. I had a conversation on Sunday with a guy who said, he said, uh, I'm trying to condense this because he said lots of things. He was concerned about himself and about the direction he was taking in life. And he said, I'm OCD, meaning obsessive compulsive disorder. He said, I'm OCD. I said, no, you're not. OCD is a description of a pattern and a tendency. Now, you may have a tendency toward compulsiveness but or, or obsessiveness, but that's not who you are. You are not OCD. Now, you can say, I'm five feet, 10 inches tall. And I would say, okay, yeah, I agree with that. But actually, it's your body that's 5'10". Because when you say, I'm 5'10", who's saying that? It's not your body that's saying that, or your body's making the sound. But who's making, who's directing the body to make that sound? Well, it's my mind. Well, actually, your mind is part of your body. And your 
your you the spirit that constitutes who you are uses your mind to direct your body yeah. and manage your body okay so who's you where are you what well, i'm in here no that's just how you travel where are you when this dies where do you go where you know what did, you are more than your mind or your body. Right. And so that means when you say, I am an accountant. No, I do accounting. It's okay to say I'm an accountant, but just don't think of yourselves as being only an accountant. You do accounting and that's your specialty. But you are much greater than your accounting career. Yeah. And yeah, you know, one I'm of a the professional things... speaker. Yeah. I'm, way... yeah. I'm a force. Yeah of life yes you and are I can, it, I can apply it well or i can apply it poorly yeah and you know this is one of the the things that that has always been a a big issue for me is is not settling for less than god's best not settling for less than that you know abundant life and but it's yeah. so easy for us to do you know, and a lot of people for a variety of reasons, you know, end up settling for much less. Yeah. And part of that is because they don't know that there's so much more available to them. And, and another and part of that is that they're so often encouraged to settle for less. Yeah. The other day, going back to the church example, yeah. uh, a week ago, we had a guest guest speaker, a young guy, did a, a really nice message sermon about um, jealousy and, and uh, contentment. And he said, his basic uh, conclusion was to overcome feelings of greed and jealousy and all the negatives, learn to be content. And at the end, he said, are there any comments or special requests, you know, like a prayer request or something? I said, I have a comment. I said, contentment. I believe contentment is a state of being at peace inside, but it is not a state of inaction. I said, here's what I think the problem, where the problem lies with a lot of people. They say, I've, I've been told I should be content with what I have. Yes, you should. But that doesn't mean be complacent. To be complacent means you no longer take initiative. To be content means you're at peace, but you you still aspire, you still dream, you still work, you still strive, but you're content. You're not jealous or greedy. And that's a big deal because the world around us, the cultures that we grew up in, you and I, have encouraged us not to aspire to greatness, not to aspire to, to making the world a better place in big ways. You know, just know your place. You know, nice, nice comment, Sonny. Please go back and sit down and be quiet now. No. The first thing we need to embrace is the fact that success is possible. Second, success is abnormal behavior. <laughs> the world encourages us to be normal. Stay in the herd. Look like the fellow herd members. Behave like them. Don't 
rock the boat. Rock the boat? I want to sink the boat and build a bigger one. You know, <laughs> rock the boat. I want to get out of the boat and swim to the other shore. You're going too slow. No, success is not normal. So if you aspire to have a thrilling, satisfying, meaningful life, to be able at the end of each day to say, thank you, Lord, for having me be alive. I have able to do so many things, experience so much. The difficulties I have pale in comparison to the joy I'm feeling. Thank you for that. If you want that kind of life, you got to be willing to be the mutant in the crowd. You got to be willing to be the weird one. The one that others say, will you lighten up? No, I will not. I mean, I remember on the, the mountain running trails out in California for 18 years, I was doing mountain trail running and I would go blazing down the hills, just bounds, you know, boom, 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 big steps, like 15, 20 feet at a time sometimes. And then go trudging up the next hill with my two hiking poles as fast as I could get me to go to complete the hike in a personal best time. And I had fellow hikers on the trail say, slow down. And I'd say, no, <laughs> because I wasn't hurting them. It just intimidated them that I was running when they were strolling, right? And uh, so if, if you're willing to be abnormal, willing to be the odd one, willing to be someone that others think should lighten up, then you're probably going to succeed sooner. And second, you got to focus on the problems you can solve. Focus on the things you can do. Be of value to the world. Look for ways to encourage, support, uh, strengthen other people. By the way, when you look at the word encourage, the key word is not in, it's courage. So how do you encourage people? Oh, you can do it. No, that's reassuring people. Mm -hmm. Encouraging people is when they have more courage because of whatever it was you did. You know, Janie, come here. You know, I've seen you in several situations like this. And right now I know you're struggling, but I've noticed that you've got the ability to do this and this, and you've got a, a quality in you that allows you to transcend a lot of this. And other people don't have that quality quite the same. So go for it and stay the course. Thank you. I never noticed that before. No one ever said that to me. That's encouragement. Mm. The other is just reassurance. It'll be fine. No, don't worry about it. No, you can handle this. Come on, you go, girl. You can make it. No, that's not encouragement. That's just support and, and you know, just reassurance. And then another one of those words, empower. Mm. To empower somebody means to assure that they end up with more power so if, if what you're doing is not making their abilities greater you haven't empowered them yeah motivate yeah. where does yeah. that come from from the motive what do you want the motive mm -hmm. yeah and I, I love what you you shared about the encouragement where you're putting courage into that person by you yeah. know, reflecting on what you see in them that they don't see themselves because 
you know, we can't really see ourselves as others see us. And, and, you know, it, it's like in my running journey, right at the beginning, uh, when I first met Jeff Galloway, and I was showing up, you know, at the age of almost 60 for a 10k race, you know, which I'd never done before. And I guess just the fact that I would show up, you know, at that age and do something, he his first words to me was, Oh, well, you know, you could do a half marathon or a full marathon too. You know, and it's like, I'm thinking, no way, no way. And he said, no, yes, you can. And yeah. so he went on and I realized that, oh, it's because of his experience, you know, as an expert, having coached and trained many other people, even older than I was at the time. And, you know, what he knew was possible. Uh, he was able to uh, transfer his confidence into me in the matter of just a few minutes. Exactly. And by being there, you had done 90% of what the rest of the world doesn't do. You showed up. That's the single deciding factor in physical fitness is showing up. The single deciding factor. Not how many repetitions, not how far you run, not how long, not stretching ahead of time, not nutrition, nothing else compares to showing up. Showing up is almost everything because after that, the rest of it's committee work, hmm. just process. Well, well, that's powerful. Yeah, because how many of us, um, you know, find excuses like, and I know you speak to this in your in your work, well, I don't feel like doing such and such right now. You know, I I started out with and the intention to do yeah. I, I started out with the intention to do this or that, but then, you know, as I got up and thought, oh, I don't really feel like it. You know, and yeah. so that that's a whole nother conversation, but it is possible to get well, over it. You just have to be very intentional well, it, about that. The thing is people think that's a valid reason. No, it's not a valid reason. That's simply a a, a weak excuse. I don't feel like it. And so what's your point? Well, I don't feel like it, therefore I won't do it. No, no, no. Those two are not linked. I don't feel like it is simply a temporary state. Hmm. If you decide this is important to do, it doesn't matter whether you feel like it yet or not. Well, I'm going to wait till I'm in the mood. No, you're not. You're going to avoid it because you're not in the mood. And someday maybe you'll end up in the mood, but that'll just simply be a random occurrence, uh, you know, like lightning in a bottle, but it won't last. Mm. What lasts is a commitment you make. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do it. Despite whether I feel like it, despite whether it rains that day, despite whether, you know, I got to do so-and-so immediately after, and it's going to be inconvenient. If you commit you can get your body and mind to show up. And if you don't commit, then what you're saying is in answer to my question, what do you want? What do I want? Comfort. Yeah. And I'm willing to endure weakness and early death in order to, to have comfort. Oh my God, you poor yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for ranting so much, but you're oh. poking all my right buttons. Yeah. Comfort. <laughs> If you look at the, the whole woke movement, which just offends the daylights out of me, they they say, well, you know, when you say such and such, it makes people uncomfortable. 
when I put on a shoe that's too small, it makes my foot uncomfortable. Should I sanction the shoe? No, just put on, take it off and put on one that fits. So if I'm around people that make me uncomfortable, I'll go somewhere else. Or if I'm doing something that makes me uncomfortable, I'll either endure the discomfort or make a better choice. But if people are so delicate that if you say a certain word around them or show a certain image around them, that they go need to go to a safe place and get counseling, you poor fragile being, I'm sorry, but you're probably going to die early because delicate flowers do not endure. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Comfort. Comfort should never be the goal. It should be part of the reward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we, when we settle for the comfort, we miss out on so much. And I think oh. that's one thing that people often don't see. They don't see the price that they're really paying for the comfort and all that they're missing that if they only knew, you know, what they were missing out on, they'd say, oh, I want that. Yeah. 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 People will watch a movie like the chariots of fire, the one about the runners from Scotland ages ago, uh, or something like that, or boys in the boat, a more current one, uh, movies current, the story is old. Um, but they watch that and they get inspired, but they don't change their behavior. And so their idea of achievement is to settle comfortably into their easy chair with their favorite beverage and watch somebody else achieve, struggle and achieve. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I'm as good at that as anybody. You know, a lot of times I could be doing more, and it, but I still already do much more than most in my life overall. Yeah. And, you know, at our age too, we could be, you know, yeah. relaxing comfortably, but, you know, in front of the TV or whatever, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't really be comfortable with that. Cause at some point it's like, Oh, this is so boring. Well, and I gotta get out and do something. Like, yeah. Kind of like eating comfort food. There's nothing wrong with that unless that's your daily diet. Yeah. If it's your daily diet, you swell up and, you know, it become unhealthy. But if, if comfort is occasional, if comfort is after a day's work, productive work or something like that, fine. But yeah. don't seek comfort as your goal. Yeah. Let it be a reward of achieving your goals. Yeah. Seek yeah. joy, seek meaning, fulfillment. Right, because there's so many big problems in the world today that mm -hmm. uh, there are many people who have the skills, uh, the experience, the wisdom to know how to deal with, but they don't realize that they have that. They don't realize their own value or worth. And so they kind of stay on the sidelines rather than getting into the game. And that's what that's I hope why I wrote encourage. the book, The Acorn Principle. Because yeah. the acorn principle is a, a self-guided tour of what makes you who you are. It's uh, it's psychologically based. And it, it, I did a lot of research, hard research uh, in preparing for it. But it's written for day-to-day -day people like us. And um, it's literally how to explore what makes you who you are 
so that you understand the wonders within you and possible for you. Yeah. The and, acorn. Uh, you know, we're getting to the, the end of our time here. I was hoping we'd have uh, time for you to share some of your personal story and how you got into this whole field of personal development, because there's some great astound yourself story experiences uh, in your in your story that I would love for people to hear. So we may have to have you back another time if you're if you're willing and able. I can give you an abbreviated version. Oh, okay. When I, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. My dad was a telephone repairman. He was with with phone company for 35 years, and then he retired at early retirement, 62. He his health deteriorated until he was 80 years old, and then he passed away. In reflecting on that, I think the reason he died at 80, which I think was premature, was because he he retired from a meaningful activity instead of to a new meaningful activity. He he lost his his sense of purpose. And so he sought out things that were interesting or enjoyable. And so he'd go out to out in the country near Little Rock to a friend's farm and help him on the farm. Or he'd go hunting with somebody or he'd go, you know, hang out with somebody else. And and his health deteriorated. And he had several operations and finally passed away from hardening of the arteries. And it was very sad. I love my dad and admire my dad. And he was a, an amazing man, a, a military leader in the Pacific in World War II and liked and respected by all of his friends and colleagues, uh, but made that poor choice late in life. My mom, who was always interested in something, always had a project or a person that she was helping. She lived to age 90 on her own. And uh, I think she just finally said, okay, that's enough. I don't, I don't think she was totally done. I just think she said, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm, com I'm complete now. Um, but I grew up expecting an ordinary life, an unremarkable ordinary life. So in grammar school, a good student, you know, probably B plus average. Uh, in junior high school, uh, B average. In high school, a uh, C minus or a D plus average. So that was, I was 176th out of 430 in my graduating class. Um, didn't, you know, didn't go into sports, didn't excel at anything and uh, didn't have a skill. So, you know, I didn't know how to play a musical instrument or work complex mathematics or anything like that. And I went to college. I went to the college that was accepting the most applicants. Arkansas State Teachers College was accepting 94% of all who applied and I got in. And I lasted a year and a half and said, nah, and went back to Little Rock and took a job working in a warehouse and then a job working as a clerk at a bank and had like 40 different jobs, if you count everything I ever did, including selling donuts, 40 different jobs before I found my current field. But when I discovered the field of training and development, I was 
26 years old and I was listening, I was working as a clerk at the housing authority, government agency for $500 a month, newly married baby at home, no college degree, no money. Heard one day I was sitting bored at the desk cause there was nothing to do. And I heard the radio in the next room and it was Earl Nightingale, the Dean of personal motivation on the radio. And he said, if you'll spend one hour extra every day studying your chosen field in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. And I did the math. Well, an hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year for five years is 1,250 hours on one narrow topic. Yeah, you could become a leading authority on that topic. 1,250 hours, sure. No matter if you started with nothing, you could know a lot about rocket science or brain surgery or home building or garbage collection, you know, whatever the subject was that interested you. So I said, okay, what do I want to be an expert at? Not urban renewal, not banking. Hmm. I want to do what he does. Who? Guy on the radio. What is that? I don't know, but I like it. I want to do that. So I started exploring. I, I determined that his field was called applied behavioral science, self-development, basically, a, a practical psychology. And I said, that's what I want to do. So I became a fanatical in the textbook clinical sense of fanaticism, fanatical student of personal development. I read every book. I, I got every recording I could find. I went to the few seminars that were available. I talked with people from all kinds of disciplines that I thought I could learn from. And I, I joined the JCs, Junior Chamber of Commerce. And they had a, the reason I joined them was that at that time they were huge because the baby boom was huge and the right age for the JCs. And uh, the JCs are like Lion, Rotary, Optimus, Kiwanis, except they're for young adults for the purpose of leadership training. The community service is how they do the leadership training, but it's not their purpose. And whereas for Rotary, for example, it's community service. For Kiwanis, it's community service. For the JCs, leadership training. I went to 400 JCs meetings in two years after work for free. 400 meetings in Arkansas in two years after work and on weekends for no pay. And I learned how to set goals, how to lead meetings, how to organize projects, how to motivate volunteers, how to get things done, how to solve problems, how to use uh, Robert's Rules of Order for parliamentary procedure. Uh, I learned so many things and I became better and better at it. And so I would end up in leadership positions. So I became my chapter leadership training uh, chair. And that meant I would facilitate the classes and then I became the leader of the classes. And then I became the chapter president. And then I became the district director and then the state chairman in charge of leadership training for the whole state of Arkansas, 280 chapters. And then I was hired by the USJC's national headquarters in Oklahoma to be the director of individual development for 356 
thousand members nationwide. So in and that was August of 1975. I heard the radio broadcast, Earl Nightingale, in 1972, around January. January of 72, January of 73, four, five. That's four years and eight months later, I was a national expert in charge of leadership training for a third of a million people. And when I left the JC's national staff, I became uh, a professional speaker and author, 1977, which I've done ever since. So for 40 plus years, that's been my profession. And I've achieved every single award in the world given to professional speakers. Holy smokes, written 25 books, delivered 3,500 convention speeches all over the world, China, Australia, South America, Europe, you know, everywhere. Um, wow. I mean, who knew that all this was possible? I sure didn't. In 1972, I heard Earl Nightingale on the radio. In 1974, while I was in the JCs, I started selling Earl Nightingale's recordings door-to-door -to, -door to businesses in Arkansas part-time and then did it full-time. And then in 1984, I was in San Diego. And one day my phone rang. I was a professional speaker. And my phone rang. And it was Earl Nightingale himself calling me. And he said, I read an article of yours in a magazine that I think would make a good training program. My company sells training programs. I said, believe me, sir, I know. I used to sell for you. And he said, well, send it to me. So I did. And he published it in 1984 and 85. My audio album, Relationship Strategies, done in partnership with Dr. Tony Alessandro, sold three and a half million dollars worth worldwide. Earl Nightingale was selling my products. Good heavens. That, that's one of those astound yourself uh, stories for sure, you know, concerning where you started. But it all started when you heard the radio when you were in another yeah. job and you just happened to hear, you know, that radio. And from that point. And I on, took action on it. Yes. But I was, I was 50 pounds overweight, out of shape, had never been an athlete, never been a scholar, knew nobody with money, didn't have a mentor. Uh, didn't have a college degree. And since that time, I've been given honorary college degrees and I've written college textbooks that are used in universities around the world and been inducted as an entrepreneur in residence at two different universities and served as a dean's advisor uh, on advisory boards for Pepperdine University, Cal Lutheran University, uh, High Point University, and uh, Akron, University of Akron. Yeah. And yeah, you astounded yourself that now uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up with this question. Now, that wasn't just dependent on your age, right? I mean, you were young mm -hmm. when that happened, nope. but you know, what about, you know, well, somebody- No, I was different. young when that started. Yes. See, yes. that's the thing. I was young when that started and now, 40 plus years later, 
I'm still going. Right. And people say, well, what keeps you going? Same thing that got me started going. I love this. Mm -hmm. This is what I wake up in the morning for. But even for people who are, say, in their 60s or or so now, 50s, 60s, even 70s, is it too late for them? <laughs> it's too late for them if they choose never to get up off the couch. Oh. You know, it, it, if you're still alive, that means there's still value that you can express in the world. Yeah, but Jim, I'm, you know, I'm not very skilled. Could you hold a door open for a person? Well, duh. Yeah, I could do that. How many times have you done it this week? You know, could you pick up a piece of trash you didn't throw down? Yeah. Could you explain something to someone that doesn't know it yet? Yeah. Could you give directions? Could you say, hey, good job? Make somebody feel better? You know, could you teach a child a skill? I mean, for heaven's sakes, if you're alive, you still have value to give. And if you don't give the value, you're denying the rest of us the benefit of your existence because you yeah. don't feel good about you. Well, get over yourself and get out there and help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, there and there's so many overlooked uh, values and skills that, oh. that people have even in their later years. And so we want to really encourage, you know, the, the baby boomers uh, and older to, you know, get together with somebody if you need to, but, you know, take an inventory of things you can do. My yeah. drill sergeant in the army said, get off your butt and on your feet and out of the shade and into the heat. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, um, do, do you want to wrap up here and, and share a little bit about your resources. Sure. You've mentioned some of your books you already, but we haven't really had well, too much of a chance to talk about your yeah. experts academy. Or... Well, what I do is I'm a mentor to experts and entrepreneurs. So if someone's not an expert in a particular field yet, but they want to be one, I can help them develop the skills of being a professional expert so that they have the horizontal skills that will make them successful in any vertical field they choose. Like if you want to be an architect, you need to learn architectural expertise, but that's not going to make you successful in sales or in entertainment or in sports or in any number of other fields. It's only going to make you an expert in architecture. But if you develop the skills of leadership, the skills of being able to run meetings effectively, the skills of, of encouragement and motivation of other people, the skills of problem solving and problem identification, the skills of decision-making, the skills of speaking eloquently and, and communicating well in all the various forms, the skills of goal setting, of self-development and self-discipline. If you develop those skills, you're portable. You can pick any field. It could be guitar design. And you would quickly rise to the top of that field, even if you didn't study guitar design all that much. Well, how could I become, you know, top of a field if I didn't know much about the specialty? Well, let's take a specialty. Let's say it's accounting and you don't have a CPA degree. All right. And you want to be one of the leading people in the field of accounting. If you have the skills I just described and you go to work in the field of accounting, 
you can find experts on all the accounting things you need. You will be a leader who will quickly show the other people the way to apply their expertise in better and better and better ways. You'll end up on boards of directors, advisory councils, and in key positions talking about critical um, solutions that others will provide the accounting expertise for. So you wanna be an expert in artificial intelligence? Good, become a professional expert too. So I certify people to be professional experts. I take them through a year long process. I call it the Experts Academy. And if you know my last name, Cathcart, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T, type cathcart.com slash experts enter cathcart.com slash experts plural and it'll take you to a page that gives you a very lengthy description of exactly what the experts academy is and how it works and i work with people in one month three month and 12 month agreements 12 months that'll get them a certified professional expert status and they come to the expert summit which will be in southern california this next year and uh, they receive their their CPE, and they get a medallion like this one, as, as well as a certificate to validate that. And they join with some people that are pretty impressive folks. Um, for those that work with me on a short-term basis, for one month, it's usually just strategic realignment and getting them pointed in the right direction, giving them the insider information they might need. For three months, I call that going pro. And that's the first part of the Experts Academy, those three months. I started all with what question? What do you want? You want. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? Who do you want to be accepted by and embraced among? Who do you want, want to admire you? What do you want out of life? What mark do you want to make? What legacy do you want to leave? And once we get clear on that, and I don't leave it all on people to answer that themselves. I guide them. But once we get a clear answer to that, man, like the, the, my grandparents used to say, Katie, bar the door. Yeah, you know, boy, it, I mean, the race is on at that point. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for a lot of people, just focusing on that one question, well, what do you really want? That's like a game changer right there because so many people just for one reason or another have not taken the time to sit down and ask themselves that. It's like the guy that said, you know, I, I don't I don't care about money. I just want to help people. I, I, I responded, how many people? Yeah. What do you mean? Every, lots of them. So, okay, here's $1.75. How many are you going to help? Yeah. Versus here's $100 million. How many are you going to help? Right. Yes, you can. Right. Money. Money is not an object. Money is a tool. Yeah, exactly. Of course you care about money because you care about what it will do. Yes, exactly. Well, Jim Cathcart, thank you so very much for all your My time pleasure. and and wisdom. It's just been such a pleasure and honor to to speak with you today and, and have you share just uh, you know, so many things that hopefully people are you know, inspired to start thinking in a different way about their life and what's really possible and 
and some keys as to ways to, to do that. We'll have in the show notes uh, references to your resources and your websites and you know books in the Academy and so forth. Uh, so be sure to check the show notes. Uh, but for our audience, uh, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, follow, share, uh, comment. You know, I always love to, to hear from people. Uh, so uh, please uh, do those things. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time on the Astound Yourself podcast.